Today from the Global Lane, U.S. gas prices skyrocket, Ukraine war clouds gathering. Who will fill the gap to keep the oil and gas flowing? The small emirate right next to Iran that hosts Hezbollah, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban. Red-handed, number one on the bestsellers list. Is a China investigation coming? I'm cautiously optimistic that we're seeing some movement. Winter Olympic Games, time to turn off the TV. China's human rights record is appalling. We've called for people not to watch them. And Christian high school students silenced and suspended for openly sharing his faith. I could either speak it with a teacher mediating conversation or behind a closed locked door. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. With the threat of a Russian military invasion of Ukraine still ongoing, Americans are feeling the pinch at the pump. Gasoline prices are skyrocketing to the highest levels in nearly eight years, up nationwide six cents per gallon over last week. President Biden has pledged to stop the Russia to Germany Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline if Russia invades Ukraine. So what would war in Ukraine mean for the world energy supply? Are there alternative sources that would help keep the oil and gas flowing? Well, here to explain is Greg Roman. He's director of the Middle East Forum. Greg, it's good to uh, talk to you again. So tell me, uh, what is going on here? I mean, many people say, why are you talking to a Middle East guy? But uh, there is a country that is being looked at by the Biden administration as an alternative supplier of oil and natural gas to Europe. That's correct. And that country is Qatar, the small emirate right next to Iran, that hosts Hezbollah, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and a whole bunch of other designated terror organizations. Hezbollah to a lesser extent, but they have financed them in the past. So President Biden hosted the Emir of Qatar last week doing two things. He asked them to supplement the gas supply to Europe that might offset any cuts that the Russians make, either because they do it unilaterally or because their companies are subject to sanctions from the United States after a potential invasion of the Ukraine. And he also confers upon the Qataris a status called non-NATO major ally status, which means that the Qataris now are equivalent to other U.S. allies in the region, like Kuwait and Bahrain. Now, this is uh, problematic for three reasons. The first is that you are underwriting an autocracy that is one of the greatest violators of human rights in the region. But even more than that, the Qataris are invested in Russia. They own one of the largest shares in Russia's second largest bank. They gave $11 billion to bail out Russia's Rosneft natural gas company. And beyond that, they're involved in dozens of other infrastructure projects, not to mention they are similarly geopolitically aligned with the Russians in Turkey, in Iran, in Pakistan, in Syria, and in other countries. And even if we look at here at home, American natural gas, which brings me to the third option, President Biden could reverse the tax increases. He could give back the tax incentives to rebuild American gas infrastructure, first and foremost, the Keystone XL pipeline. And he could find other creative measures to allow the American economy to roar back to its energy highs that took place during the Trump administration. And that would be a way in which to go a long way to offset Russian dominance in the energy space in Europe. And I think having Europe relying on the U.S. is much better than having them rely on the Russians. So for those three reasons, uh, they shouldn't be going to Qatar. They should be looking inwards towards the United States and towards our allied countries. And Greg, uh, quickly here, because we're running out of time, but I, I want to ask you about this new alliance between 
Russia and China. They've got pipelines now going from Russia into China. Uh, President, President Xi just met with Putin. Uh, what are they up to with the Middle East? What are the ramifications for all of this? Russia the bear and China the dragon are looking at a way to undermine the United States on the edges of their spheres of influence. If the Russians do go into Ukraine and China backs it, so the Chinese would look towards the Russians for support for a potential invasion of Taiwan. If the Russians extend their area of hegemonic influence over Eastern Europe, the Chinese will look towards the Russians to support an expansion of their hegemonic interests towards Southeast Asia. They are both in the East with the Russians facing the United States and the NATO bloc, and in the West with the Chinese facing the United States with its new uh, circle strategy going from India to Australia, up through the Philippines, Japan, and South Korea. So both countries, and I, and I think wrongly, but they both feel threatened by the U.S. dominance in the region, and now they're pushing back. If they work together, they're more likely to think that they'll succeed, but I think the U.S., by the time it starts confronting these two theaters, should wake up and realize that it's time to contain Russia and China. And at the end of the day, the Russians and the Chinese have a historical grievance that goes back hundreds of years. And that might upset the apple cart of this re-emerging alliance. Okay, very interesting and important global strategic developments here. Greg Roman, director of the Middle East Forum. Thank you, Greg, for being with us. Thank you, Gary. Demands are growing for action to be taken to expose Biden family business dealings with China. Several members of Congress, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, want a congressional investigation. Others like Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee and the New York Post say the U.S. Attorney General should appoint a special counsel to investigate. And the New York Times is suing the U.S. State Department to get Freedom of Information access to Hunter Biden's emails. Well, joining us with more is Peter Schweizer. He's author of the new bombshell book, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. Peter, when we talked with you two weeks ago, your book had just been released. Now it's number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. So first, congratulations on that accomplishment. Thank you. And Thank it's created you. a bit of a stir in the corridors of power in Washington, also within the media. Both the conservative New York Post and the liberal uh, New York Times are now calling for action. So your thoughts on these developments? Uh, I think it's very encouraging. I mean, sometimes uh, it's easy to think that uh, corruption doesn't matter or people aren't concerned about serious things anymore, but this shows that they are. So I'm cautiously optimistic that we're seeing some movement, but obviously we've got a long way to go to getting to the bottom of exactly uh, what these relationships are and what it means for the country. Yes, of course, you, you told me earlier uh, two weeks ago that uh, your concern was that Congress wouldn't do anything uh, because they're in the back pocket of the Chinese, too. And how likely is it that uh, members of the mainstream media will now follow the lead of the New York Post, your lead, and the New York Times, in demanding information and accountability uh, from the Bidens? Well, I know reporters from a lot of publications and news outlets, mainstream media outlets that have wanted to cover this story, but have had resistance uh, as it relates to management uh, at their respective news enterprises. So I think the tide is starting to turn, but um, I'm not going to get too excited about congressional action. I think it's great to call uh, for these kinds of uh, investigations by Congress and whatnot, but 
Uh, I'll believe it when I actually see it. Um, talk is cheap. And the problem is, is there are a lot of powerful influences, as I point out in the book, Wall Street and Silicon Valley that, that donate a lot of money to politicians who do not want to have a conversation about China and China's influence in the United States. So count me as cautiously optimistic. I think we're moving in the right direction, but I don't want to get too carried away too soon. The amassing of more than 100,000 troops on Ukraine's border, Russian troops, and Putin's threats to invade are nothing to ignore. But Biden's response, some people believe his tough talk and the sending of U.S. troops is only a red herring, Peter, an attempt to deflect attention away from his family's China troubles as the world's attention focuses on the Beijing Olympics. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because you had this bizarre situation last week where uh, Joe Biden essentially said a Russian invasion is inevitable. And the leader of Ukraine, Zelensky, actually came out with a press conference after that expressly for the purpose of saying, wait a second, the situation's not as dire as President Biden says it is. So there are all sorts of questions. I think that the Russian threat is real. Uh, I think in the larger context of things, the China threat is much more substantial because Russia is a struggling power. You could even say a declining power that uh, Putin is trying to sort of desperately hold together uh, some semblance of Russia playing a role on the global stage. While at the same time, China is supercharged and is growing and expanding. So I think the medium to long term threat that we face the most is China. And that's where our ultimate attentions ought to be. I do think a tough line on Russia as it relates to Ukraine is absolutely the right posture. Nancy Pelosi recently urged U.S. Olympic athletes to be careful not to criticize Beijing, saying they should, quote, not risk the anger of the Chinese government because they're ruthless and Fox News recently posted this political cartoon of Pelosi making that announcement with Chinese President Xi uh, handing her a bag of money. And I know in your book you write about Pelosi's family dealings in China. So do you think that may have caused her to urge American athletes to remain silent about China's human rights record? Explain. Enlighten us, please. Yeah, I mean, Nancy Pelosi has been quite clear that, um, yes, genocide is taking place. Yes, there are massive human rights violations. Yes, China represents a threat. But cooperation is more important. Uh, that's kind of the posture she's adopted. That used to not be her position. Uh, early in her congressional career, she was very critical of Beijing for its human rights record and even unfurled a banner in uh, Tiananmen Square uh, calling out Chinese leadership. That banner, of course, was confiscated by the Chinese police. Uh, but her attitude changed, and I would argue it largely changed at exactly the same time when her husband started securing deals in mainland China. He got involved in an investment fund where he was a managing partner, where sorry, where he was a partner investor, uh, where roughly 80% of that fund was investing in mainland Chinese companies. And we also know that her son, uh, Paul Pelosi Jr., has been connected with a series of companies that have all gone to China uh, seeking out and in some cases securing deals in Beijing. I don't think you can separate the two. The whole argument, Gary, in favor of engagement with China was that by forging commercial ties, it would mellow them and make them more pliable to us. That certainly has not happened. I would argue, however, that that's probably happened to some of our leaders. They have mellowed and become more pliable when it comes to criticizing China because they don't want the deals to end. Okay, we'll see where all of this goes. There's much more in your book, Red Handed, How American Elites Get Rich Helping China Win. It's now number one 
on the New York Times bestsellers list. So thank you, Peter, for that update and for being with us again. We appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Gary. With the Winter Olympics now underway, many human rights activists and others around the world are still calling for a global boycott of the Games. Well, our next guest says China should not have been awarded the Olympics in the first place. But it's a little too late now, so why punish the athletes who had no role in that decision? Joining us is Dr. Richard Land, Christian Post executive editor and president emeritus adjunct professor of theology and ethics at Southern Evangelical Seminary. Dr. Land, it's always a pleasure, and I know you recently wrote a column for the Christian Post titled, The Winter Olympics, Moral Barometer for the Civilized World. Some people would say it's a global athletic competition, so why the concern here? Well, uh, I think that, uh, you know, China's human rights record is appalling, um, probably the worst of anybody in the world. Um, they are committing genocide according to the UN standards, um, and they are, um, uh, are it's, it's so bad, the police state is so suppressive and so bad that, that our own government has warned our athletes, don't take your cell phones with you, don't take your computers with you, because they will be, uh, have sensitive information stolen off of them by the Chinese surveillance state. Uh, that's appalling. We should never have subjected our athletes to this. Now, let me be clear. Uh, we're not calling for a boycott of the athletes. We believe the athletes have worked too hard and they have, it would be unfair to them. It's not their fault that the Olympics were, were awarded to China and they shouldn't be punished. Uh, it's punishment enough having to live in, in China for, for three weeks and having to uh, live under that oppressive uh, regime. Um, but uh, our government um, should know better and, and uh, we should not watch the games. We've called for people not to watch them. And evidently some people are listening to us because uh, NBC is losing their shirt because they, the the games have got the lowest ratings that any Olympic games in, in since the invention of television has had. And uh, uh, already you've had some athletes who have been terribly mistreated because they tested positive for COVID and they were sent to special clinics where they were, where they're undernourished. Um, it's, it's really <laughs> the international Olympic committee, if it were truly a, a, a real organization and not just a puppet of China, having been bought and paid for by the Chinese government, uh, they would never have awarded these games uh, to Beijing. And many people were outraged to see China actually include an ethnic Uyghur uh, cross-country skier as one of the two torchlighters of the opening ceremonies. A Chinese foreign ministry spokesman said it, quote, reflects that China's policy of vigorously developing winter sports and improving <laughs> people's health is benefiting people of all ethnic groups. Well, I don't think Uyghurs around the world protesting the Olympics would agree with that assessment, would you? What message well, is, is China it, sending here? It's a Potemkin village. Um, it is. It would be like someone who is Jewish lighting, helping to light the flame at the 1936 uh, Munich Olympics. Uh, it's, it's, it's sparse. It's, um, it's propaganda. It's, it's uh, agitprop. It's not only the Uyghurs. You suggest Christians need to stand up against the mistreatment of the country's Christians, also China's organ transplant industry. Tell us about those. Well, uh, yes, as a Christian, I believe in soul freedom for everyone. Uh, so I defend the Falun Gong's right to uh, religious freedom, the Muslim's right to religious freedom, Christian's right to religious freedom, atheist's right to religious freedom. Many of the souvenirs that are being sold at the Olympics were made by slave labor in labor, slave labor camps uh, of Uyghurs, 
and then um, they are harvesting the, the organs of of, um, of their captives. Uh, a very active market. Um, uh, organ tourism is a huge thing, so much so that several state legislatures have passed resolutions, including uh, my home state of Texas has passed one saying that uh, Texans should not go uh, for organ transplants in China because they may be unwittingly complicit with murder. And, and quickly now, uh, other than not watching the Olympics, what should we do? Should we pray? What should we do? Absolutely. We should pray uh, for the people who are being persecuted. We should pray for the athletes uh, that they uh, are not injured while they are uh, demonstrating the, the way to, ways in which they've developed their God-given skills. And we should pray that they don't get arrested. Um, and we should pray uh, for the liberation of the Chinese people. The Chinese people are suffering under a uh, perhaps one of the most, if not the most repressive regime in history because of the technology that they have. Okay, Dr. Richard Land, Christian Post Executive Editor and President Emeritus, Adjunct Professor of Theology and Ethics at Southern Evangelical Seminary. Thank you so much for providing those insights. God bless. Free speech rights are not only being restricted on social media and streaming services, but also in American high schools. In Plainwell, Michigan, a 16-year-old junior was suspended recently for sharing his Christian faith in private text messages, also at his school locker. Now he's suing the school to have the suspension stricken from his record and to get his reputation back. Well, joining us from Plainwell, Michigan, is student David Stout and his lawyer, David Coleman of the Great Lakes Justice Center. Thank you both for being with us. So, David, let's uh, start with you, David Stout. We don't have time to go into all of this, but what were you texting at home and also saying at your locker that got you in trouble? Well, uh, at home, I had a private uh, text conversation where my friend asked me what my views were on homosexual conduct, and I responded in a, a biblical way. At school, it would have been anything political, religious, or any normal talk that students might have in the, in the hallway, and it was with people that were like-minded. They didn't have a problem with it. And I know you're a committed Christian. You had three meetings with school officials. So what did the principal say to you when you were suspended for three days? Well, they said that uh, what I had done had made kids feel unsafe in school. They had chosen to skip class and sit in the office instead of come to band. And because of that, it was a disruption to the learning environment. And that's why they uh, punished me. And I understand that you asked uh, the principal, uh, where can I practice my faith? Where can I speak freely about my faith? What did he tell you? Well, he said that there's two cases where I could uh, uh, speak what I wanted to speak. I could either speak it with a teacher mediating the conversation or behind a closed locked door with, with another person, and that person is uh, a like-minded individual. And David Coleman, can high school administrators limit their students' private speech, text messages at home or in a school high hallway? And if, if they're not being disruptive, can they do that? Generally speaking, no, Gary. Uh, there are a couple of exceptions, obviously. If somebody were to make a true threat, you know, I'm going to blow up the school or shoot up the school or something, obviously they can take action. Or if there's some sort of... Uh, speech going on among a lot of the kids at the school and it spills over into the school so that there's a disruption, there's a sit-in, there's a protest, or there's some kind of 
action like that happening that disrupts the school, then theoretically they can take some action uh, to, to stop that kind of speech. But neither of those things apply here. So the bottom line is they're just trying to regulate everyday common speech of the students, and that's unconstitutional. And to tell a student to keep their faith at home or behind closed doors, it seems there's also a religious discrimination aspect to this as well, David. What do you say? Yeah, absolutely, which is why we filed the federal 1983 action in federal court for a violation of our client's civil rights, that the, the school is acting under color of state law as a government entity to deprive our client of his civil rights and constitutional protection. So that's why we filed the lawsuit we did. David, have they ever, uh, David Stout, have they ever regulated speech from gay kids or other kids in, in the school? I've been told by those kids that yes, they, the same principals have said the same things to them, that they can't voice their own opinions about uh, gay rights or they can't uh, voice their anti-religious uh, uh, comments if it could potentially harm another student emotionally um, because they disagree with them. And what do you want to see happen, David Stout? And as a Christian, do you have forgiveness here or hard feelings, bitterness? Well, no, I don't. I don't have hard feelings. And for for the band directors, though they may have handled the situation poorly, I don't want them to um, like not have their job anymore. I would like for them to be disciplined, learn from their mistakes, and continue on. And the principals, it would be great if they could also do the same. And what I really want them want to see from them is that they stop limiting the speech, they admit that they're wrong, and set an example for other schools of what you should do to handle these situations, to teach these kids that though you can have disagreements, you can still move past that and handle it as an adult. Do you forgive them, David? I do. Our thanks to David Stout and David Coleman. CBN News contacted the Plainwell Community School District. Officials refused to comment, and understandably so, due to the filing of the lawsuit. Folks, these are our basic First Amendment rights on trial here. We cannot allow faith and speech to be tethered to our homes. The Plainwell, Michigan School District ought to be ashamed. Unlike China, student free speech and religious freedom rights do not end when they walk through the doors of American classrooms. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.